And I think that that's a very interesting trend that we are seeing in medicine now, and particularly with like using social media to be able to network, which has been great, is being able to appreciate that there's so many people out there that are really good mentors that aren't older than us. They're in our generation. Welcome back to That Vet Life. Mentorship. It's one of the most important aspects of a young veterinarian's personal and clinical development. In some cases, you'll need to seek out your mentors, and other times, they are the people that are already in your life. For today's guest, Dr. Kirsten Rongren, this was such the case, as she grew up in her mother's veterinary clinic, watching and taking part in the day-to-day activities. But her mentorship story didn't end there. As you will hear, Kirsten has been inspired, encouraged, and challenged by the vast number of individuals who have helped her develop the qualities that make her the incredible mentor that she is today. Talking with Kirsten left me feeling so excited about the future of veterinary medicine. So let's jump into today's episode. Oh my goodness, it's always a riot recording with you because we always, we get off topic on things and it's fun. But I want to hear a bit more about your mentorship story because this is an idea that came up in my mind when I was at VLC actually, just listening to so many people tell their stories about mentorship and I feel like that's the best way to collate the information about what mentorship looks like for different people so that people, students can ask the question of what is mentorship? How do I find it? What did it look like for you type of thing? So tell us your story. Where did things start for you? Because we know you actually had a parent that is a veterinarian. So I do. I did. I do. I still do. I guess my veterinary mentorship journey started early because my mother is also a small animal general practitioner and she now owns her own practice in Washington state. So I grew up in the clinic and I watched my mom do really cool, really terrifying, really fun, really sad, like the whole gambit of things. I think I had my hands in an abdomen, like by the age of probably 11 or 12, like I was scrubbed in and holding something, watching a spay and I got exposed to that side very early on and I got to see, you know, a very, very strong and independent lady, not only being a, you know, bad a doctor, but also she was a mom and a wife and it's hard. It's really hard to do both. So, so yeah, so I got to see kind of her relationship with medicine and learn about the good, the bad, the fun, the sad, kind of a little bit of everything. And so that started very early on. And I think by the time I was in high school, I had, I had flirted with other things. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher, a marine biologist. And, I, you know, and then I realized, I was like, I don't know who I'm kidding. Like, I'm going to go to vet school. So when I was in vet school, that I kind of realized I probably should get out from under the bubble of being at mommy's clinic. Because I had also worked with some other really lovely veterinarians who, shout out to Washington State University College of Veterinary Medicine, that practice was like all cougs. So it was my mom and a bunch of her vet school classmates. And so from class of (coughs) 89, sorry, mom. So (laughs) it was so fun. And so, you know, I figured, okay, I should probably branch out a little bit. So that is actually how I got connected with who I would probably like if you asked me like, oh, do you have like a single mentor? Like, and I had to pick like other than my my mother, I would say Gary Marshall. So that's how I got Ooh, connected with Gary Marshall. <laughs> that's how I got connected with Gary Marshall. So I, I didn't branch out too far because he is also a WSU class of 89 graduate. So he went to vet school <laughs> with my mom. But I just wanted to diversify my clinic experience because I, at that point, I was in my second year of vet school and I had done an internship at 
the veterinary teaching hospital as an undergrad at WSU, which was a really great way to kind of get my foot in the door and kind of see everything. I just wanted to diversify my private practice experience. So actually, as a second year vet student, Gary gave me a job and I went and worked at his feline only practice. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, What is actually happening? And I was terrified. I was terrified of the angry kitties. That was a really eye opening experience for me because I think that I got a different perspective and I also was able to see like just the difference of how, you know, he was with clients and he was with cases and things like that. And, you know, Gary loves to teach and, and he is good at it. And so having that kind of variation in my mentorship experience was really nice because I think it made me a better doctor. It's definitely gotten me a long way in terms of now when I go work at other practices, people call me the cat whisperer. They're like, both clients and and staff, which is really lovely because I don't pretend to know it all, but I take a lot of pride in the feline care that I provide. And all of that is from Gary, all of it. So I think that that makes a huge difference because of the way that he taught me and the way that I kind of went out of my comfort zone. And now people are like, oh yeah, you're the expert or you're the one who's really good at this. And you know, clients will be like, I've quite literally never seen my cat behave so well at the veterinarian she's like you're the first well i had a client last week she's like you're the first vet that i ever saw but my cat didn't try and eat and i was like well she probably still she probably still wants to eat me but there's just you know better ways of doing stuff yeah so my mentorship journey is like i said a little bit a little bit interesting because i kind of was a little bit thrown into it without having a choice just because i was at the clinic with my mom all the time but i definitely did a lot to seek out other avenues as well I love that kind of story because it, it's a little bit different than other people because uh, I know some other vets, they didn't get exposed to veterinary medicine until they were high school, undergrad, that little bit of time before actually going to vet school. So for you, you were like, you dove in head first early on, like you said, like before you even, you were even a teenager, you had your hands in an abdomen. Mm-hmm. How many people can actually say that? And I feel a lot of it comes down to like you and you as an individual, but then also the people that are around you. So the fact that your mother was like, hey, Kirsten, come on over here and stick your hand in this abdomen, that takes a lot of initiative, that takes a lot of trust. And I almost wonder like, what is it like having like someone who is giving you mentorship? Because of course, like that's what mothers and parents are able to do. But then with that flair of actually being like a little bit of mothering, and did you feel that happening? Did you feel like having a mentorship side and then almost like a mothering on top? Like, I don't know how to just ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think I will tell you like to each their own, everybody has their own style, right? Of kind of how they just number one, how they are as a doctor, but number two, how they are as a teacher. And one thing that Melanie Bowden and I, I will probably name a lot of humans who have helped me become who I am. But Melanie Bowden is my fellow Coog and business partner and colleague and bestie. And she and I talk about this a lot. And that just because you have letters DVM behind your name does not automatically make you a good mentor. And I think that historically, a lot of people have been thrown into that role and have not been successful, not by any fault of their own. It's not because they're not a perfectly wonderful, intelligent, caring, hardworking individual, but it's just because either that's not what they want to do, or it's not like an automatic thing you're wired to do. Like teaching is very difficult and variable. And in particular, I think that adult learning is a lot different than when you're a kid, right? So when you go to like a formal education, when you're growing up, 
that obviously is very different, like when you're K through 12 or whatever, the grades are a little bit different if you're not in the US, but in primary school, if you're in the UK or secondary school, like teaching is very, very, very different for adults. And that's one lesson that I had to learn when I was teaching vet tech students in San Diego is that adult learning is very different. So the kind of relationship that my mom and I had when I was younger in the clinic is very different than the relationship that my mom and I have now in the clinic. That was a really long way for me to get to that (laughs) answer to your question. Not that that shocks anyone who knows me because I could literally talk all day about anything. So my relationship with my mom was very different. The mentorship was different. So I think when I was a kid, it was very much like, hey, you're my kid and you're helping me, but also she knew that I liked it. And I've always been very motivated to learn. I enjoy learning. And I think that that was one thing that makes you a good teacher. I think you have to enjoy learning to be a good teacher. And so it was kind of a little bit of like a, a little more motherly in the sense that she wasn't like, hey, you're going to do this and you're going to like it. Like she was very supportive and she was very open. And if I didn't want to do something, she wouldn't make me do it. But as I got older, I, she had kind of pushed me to do things that I was more uncomfortable with. But still, it was like this security net, right? Because like, not only was she going to catch me as a doctor, she was also going to catch me as my mom. So that, I think, has made a huge difference because it's, it's, it's supportive and it's structured, but it was gentle. And I'm like a very emotional, like I'm getting a little teary. I'm thinking about it because I, I just love my mom. She's such a, oh God, I just, ugh, I just want to smush her. <laughs> She's such a good human. So it, it's a little more structured, but it was just very gentle. And I'm like a very emotional human. So I need that kind of gentleness. Like I really appreciate constructive and supportive feedback, but I need that kind of gentle side of things, right? Because I take everything so much personally. So that was really nice. And, and honestly, it's evolved into this really respectful, like now where we're at kind of progressed because of that, it's in this very respectful place where I think that she and I both so deeply appreciate one another as people, but also as doctors. So I actually went and worked relief for my mom before I moved to the UK. So I was actually up at home in Washington state for three months before I moved over to England. And I went and worked at the clinic for her. And there were days that I worked with her and days that I worked without her. And it was so nice. And it was so different from like when I was a student and when I had first graduated, I have never I will tell you, I have never worked as a doctor in the practice with my mom until last year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. I had never actually physically worked a day with her as a practicing veterinarian until the end of 2020. And so coming back around to that, we're able to see, I guess, like the beauty in the relationship that had evolved mm-hmm. because of your experiences with her and then at school and then with other mentors and yeah. then coming back to that. That sounds really sweet. Yeah. And I think that it also like, you don't really appreciate what you have until you don't have it anymore. And so it was really nice to kind of just be back. And I don't want to say like have my security blanket, but just know it was very easy to fall back on her. And I obviously, I don't want to say I don't need her because I will always need my mommy. I didn't need her in the same sense that I needed her before, particularly like being out what at the time that was almost like six years coming up on six years of being out. And I'm going to be coming up on, oh my God, on what year is it? 2022? Seven years 2022. Eight? I'm like, I can't count. Ooh. Yeah, 2022. <laughs> I know I'm coming up on seven years. So it was very interesting to kind of see. I think she was very proud of me for kind of seeing like what kind of person and doctor I've turned into a lot because of her, because of her mentorship and her, you know, guidance and support and things like that. And even so, like, she didn't feel the need to hover because she trusted me. And that was huge. And even so, but I wasn't afraid to ask her for help. I was doing a dental on a dachshund and the dog was just like, 
it was just a really challenging anesthesia to the point where I didn't feel like it was just a, I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to continue doing what I was doing until we kind of got things stable with the dog. So I actually was like, Hey, I need your help. She was supposed to be up doing like desk work. And so I was like, I need your help. (laughs) I was like, I wasn't afraid to ask for it. And it was kind of just, just beautiful. I was like, help me. And she was like, okay. So, you know, myself and the nurse technician were dealing with anesthesia and my mom came in to finish pulling teeth because this dog needed a lot of teeth out. And it was just kind of this unspoken, like, I was like, get in here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's nice to be able to ask for that still and not Mm -hmm. feel bad about it. I think that's one of the biggest things with mentorship is like being able to ask for help and not feeling bad about it. And Mm -hmm. as the mentee, because it's really scary. You know, absolutely. Especially when you're first out. I remember, I remember feeling very small, very small when I first graduated. And I, that was an unfamiliar feeling for me because I'm a very loud and happy person. And I love people and I love doing this job. But I remember just like that feeling of like doubt. (laughs) Just, like I said, I don't know how to describe it other than just feeling very small exposed yeah Mm -hmm. when I was first out and so I remember that the people that I worked for never made me feel that way and I never want to make anybody feel that way so that was really important to me and I think that she was very good at that as was Dr. Marshall I never had hesitated to ask him for anything and he never made me feel bad about it and that was massive massive particularly for where I am now like those early experiences, they are incredibly important. And I feel like that's part of the key as to why so many new grads leave the profession is because of the poor mentorship that they had early on, because you know that that's when you're most impressionable. And it's not that it's wrong. It's just the way it is. It's human nature. So let's go through your story a little bit more and look at your interactions with Dr. Marshall. I guess we can call him Gary here. <laughs> Gary. Oh God, um, it still <laughs> physically pains me to call him Gary. Like, <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> it's so funny because like, like he was my boss and I didn't really know him when I first started working for him when I was a second year vet student. But like I said, he went to vet school with my mom, him and his wife, Diane did too, the other Dr. Yeah. Marshall. And so they'd known my parents for 30 years. And so now he, they're like, they're, they're like my second parents, but still like when you first call someone that I still call him Dr. Marshall sometimes. And he's like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I was like, I can't like, it actually makes my eyeball twitch. To call him Gary. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me. Oh um, goodness. Anyways. Yes. So Gary. But, yes. We both had really good experiences being mentored by Gary, Dr. Marshall. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want to call him now. <laughs> I know it's weird. It but, feels uh, weird. <laughs> so for you, you were pretty much like referred to him to be like, hey, go work at his clinic, gain some experience, again, away from the parental side of your mentorship mm-hmm. so that you could experience what practice is like elsewhere in the world or elsewhere in the state. Yeah. So like, what did that relationship start out as? Did you guys sit down and have a conversation about what you were going to do as your job and how you're going to be mentored or did it just evolve? Probably a little bit of both. So actually I remember, and I totally forgot about this until now. So before I started working for him, we actually met up at, I think it was like at Top Pot Donuts or something in Bellevue and sat down and just kind of talked about like, what was I looking for? What were my goals? And like, just to have that, like, it's so small, it's just a little thing, out, some time out of your day, but just to have that time to just chat, I felt like he was actually taking it seriously. And he wasn't treating me like a kid, you know? Cause I think a little bit in vet school, like 
you have to adult, but you still a little bit feel like a kid because you're kind of putting off adulthood for a little while to do school. So, so that was really nice. So we did actually sit down outside of the clinic and just say, okay, like, he's like, here's what I need here. And he said, what are you, what are you trying to work on? What are your goals? And it was supposed to just be like a part-time. He's like, I think I've got like maybe 15 or 20 hours for you. And then I ended up working there full-time all summer, 40 plus hours a week because it was busy and he needed the help. And I wanted the hours and I needed, I needed a job too. Cause I was like, I'm po, I'm po. <laughs> so yeah. So, it, but then it kind of evolved as we went. Right. So it was kind of just like feedback on of each other. He's like, you know, what are you good at? You know, I kind of made a list of the things that I thought I was good at and what do you need work with? Obviously angry cats was one of them. So it kind of went as we went along through time and it changed too over time because what I needed when I was a second year vet student was not what I needed when I was a third year vet student. And that was different from what I needed when I was a fourth year vet student. And that was definitely different than what I needed when I graduated and I was a doctor. And then I went and worked for him because not only, I think, I don't know if people know that I worked for him as a vet student and I was an associate for several years after I graduated. So it changed. It changed as time went on and it kind of grew, but also we became better friends too. And I'm the kind of person who I quite appreciate having. And some people like their work to be separate from their home and personal, and that's perfectly fine you have to pick the environment that works for you. But Gary and I are both kind of people that we like. We like to have that relationship where we're also friends. But that's also hard too, because then I think people take things more personally if you are having a hard time or you are getting upset. Then I never wanted to hurt his feelings. Like I think we both cared so much about hurting the other one's feelings. <laughs> like anytime we talked about feelings, I was like, <laughs> but it was good, right? So it kind of changed with time and what kind of skills and things that I needed. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VetX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So you say like changing with the skills, but and I can hear your puppers in the back. Oh my god, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Hey, it's a vet podcast. That's why I shut them out of here. Yes, they so, have some choice language to share with me right now. <laughs> So let's talk more about what exactly changed. So you talked about like some skills, which that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You have different levels of skills as you go through, but from the mentorship side and maybe the more emotional intelligence and communications and human side of things, like what changed there? Yeah, um, I think both of us kind of learned a lot. And I think that that can be said with anybody that you work with that is teaching you things is that relationship is going to evolve in terms of I think you kind of, as you grow up and as you experience practice, I think you have to become more aware of your own emotional intelligence. And that was a term and a concept that I wasn't really familiar with 
And I know that you and I have talked a little bit about this and we'll talk about this much more. Melanie, Mel Bowden and I talk about this a lot, is that I think it takes a long time to develop that skill, that as a skill, and that that really helps you be a better doctor. And I think that we kind of worked on that in terms of, I don't think I really realized that that's what it was that I was working on, but it was just being aware of the fact of like, okay, I'm overwhelmed or okay, I'm being triggered right now. (laughs) Like, because this person, this client is really frustrating me or this client is not understanding what I'm saying, or this cat is trying to die. And you know, there's all these things that you're kind of trying to work at the same time. But I think one of the things that he taught me was like, it's okay to feel your feelings, (laughs) which I know is a very popular, like, sentiment right now, but I think it makes you a better doctor to be able to recognize that and kind of re-put that back out into the world. Like, okay, I might be feeling frustrated, but I can only imagine how the client is feeling or scared, overwhelmed, confused, happy, sad, whatever, you know, even if they're really happy too. But I think that especially in terms of being able to relate to and be empathic, like in, with clients, various clients are obsessed with him like they are obsessed with him. So me coming in and being this like young, like I literally had just turned 25 and one of my patients was 23 and the clients were like, literally our cat is almost the same age as you. And I was like, this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> like when that no pressure. With the dog sitting at the table yeah, and everything's on fire. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, this is fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. So his clients are obsessed with him. And it's for a good reason because he's really good at kind of tapping into his own kind of emotion and regulating that and putting that out. And he's just very honest, you know? And I think that that's the approach that I have taken and cultivated over the years. And I think that's one of the reasons that my clients like to keep coming back to me is because I think that they feel like I'm a real person. I'm not selling them something they don't need. And I, you know, not just treating that medicine like it's a business also, but like, you know, I'm not, I'm not just like telling them to do stuff that I wouldn't do to my own animal, which is really important. So. I think that that's, like I said, I know that that's a little bit all over the place, but I think that, like I said, it kind of grew over time to realize, okay, how do I kind of come into recognizing what sorts of things work for me and what sorts of things don't work for me? And how do I also put that into successful communication and still being a person? Like, I think we so much forget, like we're so focused on the medicine. It's like, you can still be a person too. And I think that that's what's made me really good at what I do is because I'm a doctor, but I'm also a person. Like I'm a human, I'm a pet owner. I really like being collaborative with my clients. Like we're deciding together what's going to be the best choice, not like either one of us just coming in here and telling the other person how it's going to go down. And were those conversations that you had like just on the fly as things came up or did you decide, hey, we're going to sit down and really have a, a good chat about this like once a week or like how did you organize that? Yeah, so that's a good question. Because we always talk about these things just like happening and it's not like they necessarily always happen organically, right? Like we can't just expect these things to come up in conversation, especially because we're so busy. I think that you kind of do have to make time for it. So we like to talk about our feelings a lot. So it wasn't challenging for us to do that. But, uh, you know, we would obviously talk about things as they come up like, oh, I'm having a really hard time with this client or this case or this emotion or whatever. But the other thing, again, and I think this comes back to me liking to feel like I'm kind of in a family environment with the people that I work with is that, and again, different for everyone. So some people will just sit down and have a meeting once a week. Great. Set a time to make this something that you can get in touch with. Like, what is it that I need from my mentorship? What is it that I'm struggling with? And what am I doing well? But also it's it's the feedback from your mentor and also what they need too, because it's a two-way street, right? It's not just like, oh, help me and make me better. 
I would hope that the people who are mentoring students and new graduates and things like that are also getting something out of it. I know I do. I quite enjoy learning things that I don't know or seeing things from different perspective. So we would talk about it, but you know, honestly, like I'm going to be really, like really straight is that like Gary and I would go get a beer and fries like pretty regularly, like at least once a month, if not almost every week. So at the end of the day on work on like a Thursday or Friday, we would go to one of a couple like pub bars that we like, and we would literally go order a pint and we'd go order a thing of fries, chips, if you're not in (laughs) the US. And we would literally sit there and just like BS. Like we would just sit there and talk about stuff. And a lot of times, obviously you start out talking about work stuff because you're kind of winding down from the day. So we would talk about things and he'd be like, oh, you know, this is how I would handle this. Like I thought you did really well or whatever. But then we would just start talking about other stuff. And that's why I felt really comfortable talking to him about what I needed help with at work is because I felt like I could also go to him with like, if I was having a hard time with stuff not work related or even just stuff like working on myself. So it felt very comfortable. And so I did not feel like I could not go to him when I needed help. And that was why, but it was also because we made it a habit. So I think the important thing about that is that we took the time to do that so that we could both benefit from the process, which again, at the time, it just seemed like, oh yeah, we're just like, we're just going to get in a beer and shooting the shit. But also that is how we ended up having a lot of our like really important conversations. But it doesn't have to be over a beer. For me, I'd prefer it, <laughs> but, but I think that it helps, right? It helps just to build that trust. There has to be a level of trust. And also I think just like mutual respect, because I think that that's how people are going to have a lot more success in that regard. And just being so intentional with your time and with your relationship mm-hmm. there, because like for you guys, it worked best to be friends and have that mentor-mentee relationship. For everybody, like you said, not everybody wants yeah. to be close friends with their mentor, which is fine. But you kind of laid that groundwork at the beginning and then the the friendship blossomed and the mentorship uh, relationship blossomed from there. And as a result, you now are this kick butt veterinarian and mentor. So tell me a little bit more about how so you've had this experience with your mom, with Dr. Marshall and a few other people along the way. But how has that influenced who you are as a mentor today? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, we've kind of already touched on like the two probably like kind of core people that I spent the most time developing with, but there's been so many people along the way that have kind of contributed to the kind of vet and person that I am, but also the kind of mentor that I hope to be. And I'm still learning. I hope we, everybody is consistently learning and evaluating their progress, but I really, really, really enjoyed working with two other people that I can think of, like in terms of spent a lot of time with, which was Stephanie Tomovsky was the neurologist, was one of the neurology team people at Washington State. And she was there when I was an undergraduate. And then she was there when I was a vet student. She actually was one of the contributors to my senior paper. But Stephanie had known me since I was 18. Like I started working as a freshman and undergrad in the vet teaching hospital. And she was one of the only people who really made me feel like I wasn't just like a pest. And when I think about the kind of person that I want to be like as a doctor and the kind of person that I want to be as a mentor, I often think of Stephanie because she is one of the funniest people I have ever met. But she just has this way of making you feel welcome. And she has these like little like sayings and like mannerisms and things like that. that I, I still can hear her in my brain to this day. Like she would call everyone sis. 
um, she'd be like, well, what do you think about that, sis? And I do that all the time now. And I'm like, oh my God, like I sound just like her. But it's because like, I just remember feeling like the first time I saw a dog get a tensilon test for myasthenia was when I was an undergrad. And I actually wrote my undergraduate like thesis on that case. Um, and I saw it with Stephanie. And I just remember she was like, she was like, tell me you've seen something cooler than that. Tell me you've seen something cooler than that. And I was like, she's brilliant. She's really smart, but she is just the nicest, funniest person. And I just remember thinking, I want to be like that because it's one of those totally cliche things. Like you might not remember some every, like, you know, every little thing that somebody said to you, but you're definitely going to remember how they made you feel. Yes. And she was just fantastic. And it, it continued into like me being a vet student and to, like I said, where she was a contributor on my senior paper that I did on lymphoma. And it was just, she's just so funny. So yeah. So she, in terms of like people that I've worked with that have really impacted how I want to be as a mentor, for sure, Stephanie. But also my work wife in San Diego, my very, very good friend, Emily Clore, who I adore so much. I worked with her for not long enough for one year at my clinic in San Diego. And she like, again, kind of similar thing. Like when you, like when you see someone, you're like, God, I want to be like them. Like you just like feel it in your bones. You're like I want to be like that person. Like she is just so smart, so dedicated. Her clients are obsessed with her. Like same thing with Gary. Like Emily's clients love her. And they're like, I would literally dive on a sword for you. <laughs> like I don't want to see anyone else. And she's just absolutely so human with her clients. And she's just, there's something about the way that she speaks to people that you just feel like, good. You just feel welcome and you just feel supported. And I just remember watching Emily with clients and being like, I really want to be like that. And then watching her with students and nurses and we call them vet nurses here instead of vet yeah. techs. And I, then when I'm talking about them here, I call them techs and people don't know what I'm talking about. So like with staff that was learning, she would be great with them. And I just remember being like, I want to be like that. Like I want to be like her. So the way that I have kind of turned into, I think who I am as a doctor and who I am as a mentor has come a lot from those people, but it's also been cultivated a lot, which I think I always expected it to be from people who are older than me, but I don't know that I ever expected it to be from people who are the same age as me. And I think that that's a very interesting trend that we are seeing in medicine now, and particularly with like using social media to be able to network, which has been great is being able to appreciate that there's so many people out there that are really good mentors that aren't, older than us. They're in our generation, which is really cool because I still feel like a child. <laughs> I'm turning 32 in April and I have a group chat with some ladies that you guys are probably familiar with, which is, and it's called Boss B, I'm the <laughs> word, Boss B, Gangsta Squad. And that's our group chat. And it's me and Jackie Horner who is Resilience Rising Rising. Yep. Mel Bowden, who is True North DVM, Low Curtis, who is at Low Curtis, and she also does Thrive DVM podcast. And then Sarah Brisson, who was, was the new grad vet, now she's Live Well Vet. So the five of us are in a group chat. And I never knew how much I could learn and want to be a better person, like in terms of doctor, mentor, human, than like the amount of shit that I am learning from these women on a daily basis is unbelievable. And they so fire me up to be a good mentor because it's not about being like everyone else. It's about being you and being the change that you like want to see in our profession, which like sounds so profound, but it's like, I cannot even tell you 
like the conversations that we have on a daily basis are so ridiculous, but like the best hype squad you could ever have. (laughs) And it's nice because I think that they've made me realize like, it's okay to do things your own way. And like veterinary medicine has a lot of good things about it, but a lot of things I think we need to change. And they have been very vocal. And as have I, in terms of like, okay, here's what we want to do to impact this. And so I think that that's made a big difference as well. So kind of combining like advice and styles of teaching and learning from my own friends, in addition to my mom and people that have come before me and people that I've worked for has really kind of made me, I think, well-rounded, I guess I would say, in terms of like the type of mentorship that I try to provide. I think that I want to be someone to look up to, but I also want to feel relatable. And I think that that's the hardest thing is we all get that little bit of imposter syndrome. You're like, well, what the hell do I know? Like, I don't, I'm just work here. I just show up and try and get through the day. But I think that I have to remember that, and we all have to remember that we all have a lot to offer. And there's always going to be different types of personalities. And I think I used to really want to like be helpful to everyone. And I think that if I just help one person because of like being open and being crazy and being like liking to have a good laugh, like then I've done my job. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I've done what I've set out to do, which is help people get the type of support that I've had that might not otherwise have it, which is, that's just kind of like the broad way that I think about it is how do I do that for other people? Because I've been so fortunate to have that. So and that is such a powerhouse group that you have on that on that group text. And that's the kind of thing that and I they're wanna... all nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but they're awesome human beings that are constantly striving to inspire, encourage, and challenge each other. And that challenge part I feel is where so much of the innovation in this space is coming from because we're saying, you know what, this is good, but let's make it a ton better. Let's see how we can make it better for the next person. And that's what I like. I look up to you as a mentor, honestly, just because of the way that you're constantly inspiring everyone else around you to be like, don't say that about yourself. Like you are awesome. You can kick butt and you can do this. And you're pulling other people up and being like, all right, now you can be in this space and you can pull up the next person and train them too. And it's just, oh my gosh, it just lights a fire underneath me to be like, yes, this is awesome. We can do this. Like, let's (laughs) go. Oh gosh. And I know you've been doing some teaching. You were teaching at a veterinary technician school and just like the mentorship that you do on social media, that is that all of that ties in. And I like so much of this, like you said, has come from your own experiences and the people that have come alongside you to teach you and to honestly just help flourish the characteristics that were already inside you. So it's not like you had to be, I, I don't know, like these things not were not necessarily added to you, but you had a lot of good characteristics that were already there. So we're running short on time here. I know we can talk forever <laughs> yeah. about these things. It's not surprising, but we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the bonus content, but I want to give you some space here to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and where we can find you. Okay. So I think that you already hopefully have introduced me at this point, but yes, uh, my name is Kirsten Rongren and I am a small animal general practitioner. I am currently living in the UK. I am in England. Never thought I'd say I was moving for a man, but here we are. (laughs) So my husband is a boarded equine surgeon and he is from England. So we moved over here 
back at the end of 2020. So it's been just over a year. And so we've got a vet household. So I am currently, I used to be a pretty practice monogamous GP vet. So I worked at the same clinic in San Diego for three years before I was here. And then the same two practices part-time when I was in Seattle. And I actually came over here and I was like, yeah, I'm going to locum. I'm going to go all over the place. I'm going to be a relief vet. It's going to be great. I've been working relief two to three days a week at the same clinic for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't, I haven't really gotten out there and explored the world of medicine in England yet. But I'm currently locuming. I'm also doing independent contracted teaching work. So I've been teaching new graduates over here as well. And it has been so fun. I've been really enjoying that. And also veterinary consulting for our friends business and looking into that. So I'm kind of starting to dabble in a lot of different pots. I have been doing that as well for the last year, which has been really fun. They do parasite prevention, but they also just got purchased by Bought by Many, which is one of the big insurance companies over here. So I'm going to hopefully start doing more things with them. And then also all my social media. So at vet underscore redefined on Instagram, also my website, and also working on some content at Advanced Vets Academy with Mel Bowden. So lots of stuff. You are a busy, busy human. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it right now. I kind of just feel a little bit all over the place, but yeah, (laughs) lots of things. That is so awesome. And I really want people to focus in on your space because there are some big stuff coming from you. You're always an inspiration. And yeah, guys, all of our information will be found in the show notes. So please go and say hi. You'll get sucked into a conversation and it'll be fantastic. (laughs) So, (laughs) But Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to either Kirsten or myself through VEDEX International. But until next time, guys, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.